Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hello and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Nice to have your company wherever you may be listening. My name's Mick Collis. Joining me, as always, the new voice of rugby in WA, Mitch Hardy. Yeah, we missed you on Saturday, Mickey. Um, nice to be back for this week. So, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, calling the game this Saturday down at Harvey Field. Yeah, that'll be beauty. And WA's newest media darling, the cameras love him almost as much as we do, Heath Tessman. Isn't it beautiful, Ace? <laughs> nice black outfits living on the camera. <laughs> Mate, oh, it was, it was a dream result. I, I was watching from over east, and every time I turned around to watch it, Tessman was on screen. Like, it was, it was phenomenal. So you watched it. What tw- you watched it twice is what you say. No, you no. the beginning and the end. I just turned around and there he is. There's Heath Tessman. There he is, Hi. looking buff in his black polo shirt, looking a million dollars. He he did very well, Mick. He didn't even have to. He he put his notes away. I could see him rehearsing. I know. I couldn't believe it. And he put his notes away and was able to do a, a two minute non. I know. At the start, and he's they couldn't shut me up. They it couldn't was- shut me up. <laughs> They're sitting there at half time while I'm talking to Ollie. Telling me to get off. We're trying to get the, we're trying to start the game, mate. Get off the field. Nah, this is important. <laughs> that was great. That was a good job. So well done, lads. But yes, we're back on the weekend and looking forward to, to jumping in. Well, one of stands, speaking of stands, one of their great innovations has been the mini match. And in light of the Rugby Raps new association with Stan, we're going to do a mini pod tonight with all the best bits squeezed in. So next week we'll be back in full, hopefully, with Kane Koteka as our special guest. So we'll move straight into round seven for Super Rugby Pacific and a couple of interesting results. Uh, Chiefs 30-29 in a thriller over the Hurricanes. Blues 46, Moana Pacific 16. Crusaders 17, Highlanders 14. The Waratahs too strong for the Drua 38-14. And in the Australian match of the round, the Reds 21, defeating the Brumbies 7. I thought that was a a, a good game, a bit sloppy in parts, but a great result for the Reds. Are they the new standard now? I don't think you can get too excited about the Reds getting a win um, over the Brumbies and saying setting new standards, Mickey. I thought the Reds just played good footy. They controlled the game. They controlled the scoreboard. Um, I think the what they're able to do against the Brumbies is do their homework and do their homework really well. But then they were very um, a little bit um, methodical in the way they went about things. They certainly did really well with only thirteen men on the field yeah. for the time in the game and not. That was really good footy. As a coach, you couldn't ask more from your troops than to really hunker down and and uh, cover red cards and yellow cards at the same time. So um, there was, you know, where we talk red cards in games, there is no doubt in my mind that was a red card charging in in head on head. So um, no argument for me on that one. That was just out and out foul play, and you you, you got to respect that. Um, but the Reds were able to recover from that and do it and just close the game out really well. There were some really good passages of play. I thought James O'Connor was very good. Um, and I think, you know, that as a as a team, they tore away and deserved a win. So the Brumbies, Brumbies probably, I think, were stinging a little bit from their trip trip over West the week before, maybe. I think they were a little bit probably raw from um, yep. having a close one against the Force. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from that. And... Um, whether or not they can, you know, enjoy a bit of a hit out against BG this week. We'll see how they go. But certainly a good win by the Reds, mate. What do you think, Heath? Oh, what what does the team have to do to be the new standard, Mitchie? Isn't that 13 <laughs> games straight? The Reds have run 13 odd games straight or something like that, haven't they? They haven't lost one this year. Can't remember. 
<laughs> I don't think so. I'm starting to doubt myself. One. They lost one to the Brumbies, mate. They, won they on did one lose now. one to the Brumbies this year. So they've lost one from yeah. 10 or so. 10 ish. Yeah. Oh, I, I, that's, I think, and it's, it's I don't know, I, whether it's intentional or not, it could have, it's turned into my catch cry this year, but fork in the, with this fork in the road <laughs> we've been talking about. <laughs> The Brumbies need to get back on top this weekend because it could start slipping pretty quickly. They've, they've ground away some good wins and they've been close, but, you know, a few few little matches and all of a sudden they've only got two wins from – two or three wins from their first start. So I think they're kind of on that edge. Like, they are still doing some things better than anyone else, but at the same time there's a soft underbelly that's been kind of exposed or it's been shown but not exposed by the force. And then, yeah, oh, the Reds were – I think like they never looked like losing that game, no matter how many guys they had on the field. Um, that was, I thought it was a great performance. Did do you think um, Taniela Tupo? He didn't seem to have as his usual impact on the weekend, from what I saw. Is that a fair call? I think he was doing he was doing a lot of it at scrum time. I think he did. He took James Slip out, Falafanga. He took that Wallaby front row on by himself. And he had he had NASA next to him helping out, but he was the one that was doing all the work and the and the rest of the that red squad were playing a supporting cast there. So to be able to and they were dishing them up pretty frequently as well at yeah. scrum time, getting a lot of penalties. So I mean that that takes effort too. So that's probably part of the reason um, he was he probably wasn't seen around the park as much with the, with the ball in hand. And probably part of the reason where he bloody you know, he won the dickhead of the water day as well, award of the day as well. When he stuck his leg, I had to trip over oh, him yeah, right yeah. in the end. Hey, he was just—I'm guessing—he was just cooked and just wanted to, to get back to the down. stands. I don't know what he was thinking. He didn't even Is try that, to hide that. That was oh, just, that was biggest just, human being in the whole stadium, <laughs> in the middle of the grass on the field—you know, not on the dead center, but on the pitch. Yeah, and just turfed the leg out. Yeah, it was very funny. Yeah, and, oh, and talk about that—that that red card. So the guy got um, three weeks. But the yeah. play review committee deemed the act of foul play merited a mid-range entry point of six weeks due to world rugby instructions that dictate any incident of foul play involving contact with the head must start at a mid-range level. But then they said, taking into account mitigating factors, including the player's clean judicial record, his acceptance of foul play and his expressed remorse, the committee reduced the suspension to three weeks. Now, is mitigating factors the most overused and least understood term in rugby at the moment? <laughs> So there's, there's two lots of mitigating factors, Mick. It's the stuff that happens on the field that, that, that you can help to make the decision whether it's the red card, meets the red card threshold or not. And then there's the stuff they talk about at judiciary, which takes into consideration the, the person's track record, their remorse, and any sort of uh, defensive lines that they might throw up in the actual hearing itself. So there's two factors there. And so they're all, yeah, so right. they, also, they also call those mitigating factors, do they? Yeah, I guess they do in their judiciary terminology, but I don't know. There's no other. There's no other way to, I guess, determine other than use the word whether it is intentional or unintentional. Did you show remorse? Did you not? And what does your track record look like? But yeah. that, that's judiciary, you know, methodology, I guess. But and then the on-field stuff is: was it foul play? Yes or no? Was it an accident? Yes or no? And was there intent? So, yeah, yeah. So, all this needs to be considered in the decision. Because before we I'm get guessing when you test. get to the judiciary, they just give you a form and you got to yeah. tick the box. Are you sorry? <laughs> yep. And that's yep. just take one week off. Have you uh, had a red card before? <laughs> are you going to show remorse? Yep. Tick that one. That's another yeah. week off. 
Yeah. How's your track record? I think and the young guy, he was on debut, wasn't he? So I'm guessing yeah, his was, track record's yeah. pretty clean. Pretty good, yeah. <laughs> um, so tick, tick, tick. One yeah. week each. Yeah. It just seems a little bit bizarre. <laughs> it's like applying for a credit card or a license or something. You <laughs> just got to provide all these things and then you yeah. walk out. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's bizarre. And the, and the Brahms, they had a couple of yellows in there as well. Um, Rob Valentini for a high tackle that obviously – had mitigating factors, so he only got the the yellow. Oh, and and oh Cam, my gosh! Yeah. And Cam Clark for his deliberate knockdown. I, I, I know we spoke about this before, but this intentional knockdown is I I just don't understand it. I thought he put his hand up. To, if he had caught that, he, he was at the other end. The ball was thrown in his head. Yeah, it, was, it literally was a forward pass at his head. It was like, it, it, they they completely overlooked the fact that the pass was about half a meter forward. Um, <laughs> and it was going to hit him. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Cam Clark. Well, I just had to laugh at the Cam Clark one. It was just comical because you're just going. At no point did anyone even mention that the pass was remote, yeah, forward, it was. which it was yeah. looked clearly. Um, and I thought the Valentini one was pretty harsh as well. It was like this glancing type of little knock yeah. on the cheek or something. Yeah, go. That must happen a hundred times in a game where someone gets a glancing blow to some sort of part of your face or head, and you're going. Lined up with no one on the field if you yeah. in this approach to things. But I know it, it's yeah. crazy. And one of the highlights of that game was uh, Paisami's hit on um, on White. It nearly oh, cut him in half. It was just was he, Paisami's timing with his defence. He's done that. It, I reckon he does that almost every game. He just lines someone up and just snaps him in half. It's unbelievable. I love it's the, um, He's not a big bloke. He doesn't the long range. Him. The long-range shot of that is one to watch. If you get to watch the actual pullback shot where they replay it, he can't. He literally reads that from the moment Nick White leaves his hand as the nine. He is yeah. giving it, yeah, and he's just hunting that. Is he? <laughs> yeah, and White's eyes like, when he sees him at that last second before he comes. Because I don't know if White even got oh. his hands on the ball, but like it no, was just, it just kind of, he was just in the way. It just got, oh, it just got destroyed. It was I reckon he squealed. I reckon he was squealing. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. It was a great hit. And then moving on to Super W, uh, the Reds 55, Rebels 5, so a big night for the uh, the Reds. The Brumbies 27, Force 19. Brumbies got out early, 15-7, and now they're able to close that game out. And then the biggest result for me over that weekend, the Fijiana ending the Waratahs 20-game unbeaten streak to book their spot in the final, 29-10, just up-tempo, Great support play and just a really enjoyable game to watch. Yeah, and that um, yeah, then that that top of the table teams just going at it, and the Fijiana has just been really the benchmark for the competition this year and really lighting it up, which is great to see. A um, little bit of contrast to the Brumbies Force fixture, which I watched on the weekend. Really disappointed. I think the the Force women's team to come away with a loss there. I think they would have thought that they could have probably knocked the Brumbies off, but. Mm. Just the skill execution let them down. They had a couple of, well, it was, I think I recall at least two or three held up tries plus a try in the corner where they put the foot into touch. Um, so they had their opportunities to get the ball over the line, but they just sort of lacked a little bit of composure and discipline and gave away penalties and dropped balls. And it was just a little bit um, sloppy from the Western Force women. So they'd be a bit disappointed that they didn't get a, a win. But certainly on the other end of the scale of Fiji, you know, a, a delight to watch and just the way they're using the football, but also their physical presence on the field is, mm. is terrific. Yeah, that's what um, 
Young Kira McCaskill, when we spoke to her the other week, she just said they're just playing them as another level of just the physicality of the size. And they've got a, they had a lady, she played in the headgear, the number 18, Lawenny Nagala or something is her name. She copped a, a big head knock in the first half and there didn't seem to be any, any HIA. And she played a full game, great, scored a try at the end. But it just concerned me a little bit that in, in the men's, they're so onto that. But in this one, she, she went down and then kind of just got back up and, and kept going. So I found that was just a, a bit of a concern for me that they didn't seem to jump onto that. Yeah, and they've got to be careful they don't let that happen too often. Otherwise, you know, um, mums and daughters will turn off. Yeah. And it's not something they want to, you'd want your daughter being exposed to if there's whisper injury like that. And yeah. let's face it, um, there's some, there's some pretty big girls playing the game. Yeah. They yeah. do hit hard and they hit big. Mm. And they don't muck around. Um, so, you know, player safety is still at the, at the forefront of those matches. Yeah. I mean, they may have checked her out, but it just it, it didn't seem to be, but I might have missed it. Uh, and then looking at local rugby, the WA Fortescue Premier Grade got underway round one of the weekend. Cot 42, Keller 27. Perth 40, defeating Soaks 18. Uni sneaking home 28-26 against the Southern Lions. That's a great result for the Lions. Nettie's 57, Joondal up 7, and that's without Heath Tesman. West's 55, Rocky 14. And in the stand sport match of the round, the Rudogs 28, Pally 27. So, boys, a nice tight game for the first broadcast match. Yeah, it was. It was it was and it was a good physical affair too. There was it was obviously there was there was a little drop bit of drop ball, a little bit inconsistent play, um, especially early on as the teams started to fatigue in that first half. But like it, it was exciting because both teams were so willing and they were still so physical, I think. And that was what we saw in the second half. As teams were starting to get a little bit tired, ball wasn't being moved as much. There were a few bigger hits coming out because people were just carrying into a few more bodies. Um, so it was, a, it was a really exciting game. And uh, yeah, the young the young lads, or mostly young lads from out at Wanneroo, did a brilliant job of just hanging tough in there till the end and scoring a try with about 30 seconds to go. Yeah. And, and Mitch, do you think the fact that, it, that it's on stand, do you think that the players, I mean, you always try hard, but do you think there's that little bit of extra wanting to go a little bit harder, a little bit better, because they've now got an audience they didn't have. I mean, it, it used to be on NITV, which, but you've got your rugby community on with Stan and able to watch that now. Do you think in the back of their head they're thinking, you know, we're, we're on show here? Oh, I think so, but I think more, more so in that it's going to expose the best of Premier Club Rugby and WA to a broader audience that may attract players into the program. So... If you look at there were both teams had quite a, a spattering of new players that had come from different walks of the rugby fraternity from either Sydney or New Zealand or um, overseas. So um, I think that was great to be able to showcase that. I think talking to guys like Andrew King, who's a bit of a store down there at Wanneroo, he certainly felt that you know by showcasing Wanneroo first home game in the season, 50th anniversary for the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a great opportunity to, to show what Wanneroo's about. Um, yep. And certainly he, he wanted to make sure he looked good on camera as well. So yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he had a he had a pretty good game for the old bloke. So, um, but also some of the, the guys that aren't in the Western Force Academy and, and have come through the system, like young Ethan Riley, who was our man of the match on the weekend, um, he had a really good game and he's a good t- young 10. He's got a good kick on him, did some good options, uh, set up some nice plays. So, 
Um, I think it's a really good opportunity for promotion of club rugby here in Western Australia, but also, you know, if we can showcase some of the, the club grounds and the club facilities yeah. and, and what rugby's about at the same time, I think that's really important. Uh, and as we said at the top, you know, Heath did a good job interviewing a few locals along the way as part mm. of the, the broadcast. I think that's important. We try and bring in some of the uh, the commentary side of things and, and interview a few different people each week. So just looking at those results, Mick, like the big ones for me was Cottesloe just straight out of the blocks. Yeah. Putting on a big score against Kalamunda, um, you know, 40, 40 points round one. The other the other big one for me was Perth Bayswater whacking yeah. 40 like points Sykes, 18 yeah. against Young Sykes. And Sykes, like they've got a really young side this year. Um, you know, I note that young Sam Meacham um, was playing in the second row. He was playing lock for yep. and, and Sam's a young back row. Like yeah. he's 19, 18, and he's yep. playing for him, where he's usually a back row. And then, you know, big Otanuku Pauta or Pauta, uh, the number eight from Perth Bayswood, obviously created and just wrecked havoc because he, he got a couple of tries. The Southern Lions UWA game, 28-26. Um, my spies tell me that UWA were pretty ordinary um, and it was a pretty ordinary game. There was two penalty tries in that that match. Uh, Clay Ewan, though, was uh, a standout. Um, obviously, we gave him a bit of a pep talk from his, his chat on the podcast last week and he yep. gave himself a double, which is good. Um, well, Netties didn't have much problems against Junalup. They've got some good players there, haven't they, Heath? The big Zane Pamari. Zantana. Zantana. Yeah, Zantana. Did you see his drive on the weekend? Yeah. He no, I broke, the broke through the line and then there was just this little pullback at the back, just <laughs> absolutely trying to dig a hole and hide. Didn't know where, didn't know where to go. <laughs> but they got, they got a pretty good back line too, Netties. And, um, yeah, Junluck could be in for a long old season, I reckon, um, judging by that first up performance. And Rockingham as well, they got... They got smashed by West Scarborough down at Rockingham. Um, for those punters out there, Rockingham and Mandurah have now gone their separate ways from the Coastal Cavaliers. So Rockingham's standing alone. So, um, but West, um, you know, they've, they've chalked up 50 points around one and they'll, they'll come up against Cottesloe this week and our matches around. Yeah, and it should be a beauty. And Tess, it was good to see you in the, uh, on the coverage. Uh, Chris Heiberg, you caught up with him at halftime. So he's, is he Ford's coach? Uh, uh, yeah, it was, he, he's run, he's doing the scrums for most of the grades down there, and then just yeah, helping out with all the set piece. So I don't know if he's a, that's his official title, but you know, but it's yeah, all great, kind of great for him. Around, around. So he's, and and Johan he's Bartle, jumping in to get involved. And Johan Bartle, he's around helping out as well. He's so still out of Perth Bayswater, so yeah, he's so uh, great to see the force he, he'll guys be helping out over there. He's he'll be a big part of that that forty point victory. Yeah, so it's terrific. I can say it's great to have those guys getting back involved in because we you know we spoke. I think it might have been last year. Um, I can't remember who it was too now. He said a lot of the senior or professional players, when they get cut, they leave rugby with a bit of taste in their mouth. So it's nice that some of these guys are, are sticking around and, and being involved in the community. It's, um, but I think it's great. So, and it was good that you caught up with him. It was good to hear that uh, what he's up to. Yeah. Um, what about what do we think, of the, though, with this first round? We know how Rugby WA were looking at adjusting the teams, playing in the top comp. We've had Two teams score 50. Mm. Two teams score over 40 or 40 points or more as well. Well, <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of controversy in the off-season. Um, you know, uh, Southern Lions and Rockingham and Arcs were going to be um, moved to like a second division first-grade mm. comp. 
um, and they're going to try and go with a 10-team comp. I think, you know, Southern Lions obviously – Southern Lions have presented them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and they were pretty competitive last year as well. And, you know, you know if you're looking at on form, Soaks might, might have been on the chopping board last year as well. They finished mm. quite down and, God forbid, we, we put Soaks in any sort of second division. There'd be a right on our hand. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I think – Lopsided results don't do the club comp any favour. We want good, tight results. And mm. if you look, uh, you know, across, and I hate to do it, and I know a lot of listeners will, will rag me for it by harping on about the shoot shield, but there was only one, one lopsided score in the whole shoot shield round last weekend, uh, and that was north over east 42-12. Everything, so I was going to say that was my beasties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything else was within a <laughs> five to ten point margin every other game. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Including the wildfires. You know, the wildfires up against the yeah. land is 31-26. So, yeah. you know, you want tight games. You don't want too many blowouts. I think you can handle one or two a week, but not four or five. Yeah. It, um, yeah, but look, early days. And so, uh, do you think that Joondalup and Rockingham, different ends of the city, are they like the western suburbs of Sydney? Is it, is it an untapped, are they untapped areas for rugby? Oh, Joondalup isn't. They've they've got they've had so juniors and so strong in the juniors for like forever. Like yeah, okay. They just have just struggled a little bit to convert their juniors, and whether that that's because they've been a little bit um, a bit of pillaging and poaching of the Western Suburbs clubs of their best. Yep. Um, same with the the Rockingham guys. Like you look at some of their best talent um, have, have gone to other uh, yeah, West. Okay clubs in Perth so yep. they're, they're not lack of talent coming through they're not lack of depth they're just lack of being able to retain players yeah okay well let's hope that the uh, ensuing weeks level things out a little bit so looking ahead to this week Super Rugby the Reds of the Tars have got the bye Highlanders up against Minor Pacifica Hurricanes Crusaders Chiefs Blues the Drua Brumbies and on Friday afternoon at 5.45 at HBF Park the Western Force against the Rebels. Can the Force give their loyal fans something to cheer about this week? Tess, you're an ex-Rebel. Well, <laughs> I, and I didn't know. I bagged the I bagged the pants off the Rebels last week, and they came out and dusted, <laughs> and dusted them up. They played the game of the year. Hopefully, um, hopefully that'll be that'll be them though. That'll be their all the wind. They've put all their eggs in that one basket, and and um, and the winds come out of their sails. So, uh, fingers crossed that the, the force can come out there this Friday. Like looking across and having a think about the the two packs, like you, as as good and strong and tough and abrasive as the uh, Rebels pack is, they're still quite young and inexperienced in a lot of key areas. Uh, so I really think the force can get over the top of them there. And without I, like, without to- acting like I know what I'm talking about with the backs, it's another really young, experienced backline for the Rebels as well, you know. And when they're most experienced guys are guys that are probably in the worst form. So it's going to be interesting to see what group of guys the Rebels even bring over. Like, um you're coming off the back of their victory because they, yeah, they did it with a lot of, without a lot of their number one, Number one players. Um, no tip for me though. I think the force will bounce back pretty well. By weeks, by week, so they're well rested, uh, hungry to finish off these these last couple of games against Aussie teams. Because for all of our Aussie teams, it could be it before we go over to the yeah. <laughs> Super Trans- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mitch, do you think do you think Tess is right, especially his analysis of the backs? 
Well, yeah. Well, we all know how much an expert is. A backline play um, is about as good as I am. The only thing that was right is what I didn't know what I was talking about. (laughs) Um, But I think think the force uh, have got a lot of positives they could take away from that Brumbies match the other week where they were able to chalk up, you know, four tries in the the space Mm. of minutes. They just didn't close the game out as well as they could. I think the announcement of Simon Cron and the Tim Sampson coaching scenario, uh, they've had a well over a week to digest that and get on with business. Uh, there's been minimal distractions. They've had a week off. Um, I would have thought that Western Force would have to be lay down as their favourites this week against the Rebels. Everything's coming in their favour. Uh, the Rebels, yes, they had a really good outing against Fiji the other week, but that creates more headaches, I think, for them than what it's worth because of the fact that they did have some of their non-starting 15 in that game. So do, as a coach, Kevin Foote, does he retain those players and reward them for the effort or does he make some changes and brings back his go-to sort of first 15 guys? So um, I think um, Kane Kateka, uh with his form, the back row going up against Dickie Hardwick and those guys, I think that's going to be still a good contest. I think whether or not Carter Gordon plays or... Um, how they're going to, you know, how Reese Hodge responds, Matt Tamua's kicking game. They're just a lot of ifs for me for the Rebels. Um, and I just don't know how they're going to win games from week to week going into the next round of this competition. So, whereas I think the force, they've proven that they can mix it with the best week in, week out. It's just getting the wins. The wins, yeah. So, um, you'd think that they should get the win this week and be staying in touch with the top six of the competition. So, they're only a few points out of that six. They get a win against the Rebels. They stay in. They stay in contact. Wow. And, you know they can get a bit of momentum leading into the Trans Tasman portion of the competition. Yeah, which is looming on the horizon. And in Super yeah. W, uh, Waratahs Reds, Fiji Brumbies, and then the Force against the Rebels. Two winless teams looking for their first victory. Uh, the last time they played, twenty twenty, was a thirty one twenty six nail bite to the Victorians. So nothing for either team to lose. So hopefully they'll throw it around. And that's being played after the men's game. So the men is the curtain raiser at five forty five, and the women will be playing after the men on Friday night at the HBF. So if you do get out to watch the force men, stick around because there's a uh, more rugby after that. And then in local rugby round two of Fortescue Premier Grade, uh, Pally have got the bye. Soaks looking to bounce back against Netties, which could be tough. Arcs against Southern Lions, UWA against Perth, June Lubcala, Rocky against the Rudogs, and the Stan Sport match of the round is Cot versus Wests down at Harvey. They're all on at 3.30. And that should be a good one based on the last week's results. Uh, Cot Wests, um, great to have them up against each other in round two. Yeah, looking forward to this one. I think it'll be um, really good up front. I think Tess will, will really enjoy the, the Type 5 contest, and it should be... Um, Pretty robust, sort of challenging up front. But both have got really exciting backs as well. So um, I think it'll be a really good spectacle. Um, the weather should be pretty good. Be good conditions down there at Harvey Field, um, as long as the rain's not coming in sideways. Yeah, it's cursed. Cur- you've cursed us now. Yeah, yeah either, either one or the other down there at Harvey Field. It's either raining <laughs> sideways or a beautiful, pristine day with the water shimmering in the background. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Cot should be favourites for that one, I reckon, against West. But um, I think it'll be a really good uh, match and a good spectacle. The other games to watch on that weekend for me would be the UWA-Perth-Bayswater game. I wouldn't be surprised if Bayswater knock over the students. Um, and, yeah, the soaks Netties one could be a cricket score. Yeah, yeah, could be a tough At one. Soaks. At yeah. Soaks. Yeah, I'll just put the mocker on your club. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You did <laughs> Oh, that's um, why I didn't want to say anything. 
Yep. Arks, Arks, get, Arks um, get to host Southern Lions out of Harrisdale. So that's their first game of the year after coming off round one with the bye. So they'll be really championing the bit to um, take on the Lions out, out at Arks. And the rumour is that Tobias Hoskins has already uh, booked himself a haircut. That was the rumour floating around. He's made a bit of an extra time to make sure he, he looks good. He gets the, he gets the, um, he gets the bi-weekly one anyway. He's just booked in the third because it was right. going to be two days between the Thursday night cut and the cameras. He'll be coming to you at halftime, Tess, wanting to... Uh, wanting <laughs> no, to he, uh, even if I don't ask him. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll go to the mailbag, and the big news this week is Australia confirmed as the preferred choice for the both the men's Rugby World Cup in 2027 and the women's in 2029. That decision is pretty much final, but it'll be officially rubber-stamped in May in Dublin. So how important, do you reckon, is that news to the game in Australia? I think it's excellent, Nick. I think it's to be able to have a double whammy World Cup is exactly what the game needs. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get a lot of momentum out of 2027 going into 2029. Um, you look at the achievements of the of the Women's World Cup victory with the cricket over the weekend, which was just terrific. Um, I think it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for Australian rugby over the next seven years to really build some serious momentum for the game. And to have that as the two pinnacle marquee events into the future, I think it's, it's extremely valuable. And um, it also will encourage... Participation, it'll encourage investment uh, into the facilities that rugby's played out and, and it hopefully will be a big shot in the arm for, for club rugby everywhere. Because they reckon that, because they've got the Lions tour thrown in as well, so they reckon that yeah. the, the decade will generate $100 million in income. So for... for 2025 uh, Lions, 2027 World Cup. And 2029 We're tipped to get the 2029 Women's World Cup. Yeah. And then the uh, Olympics as well in 2032 with the Sevens yeah, involved the sevens. in that. So $100 million, $100 million income, this is from an organisation that had to borrow $14 million last year during COVID. So by all reports, they're, they're very keen to make women's 15s fully professional by 2025 because they did see what the cricketers are doing. Is Are they putting... I mean, look, I think it's great and they should do that, but is, is that the answer, just to be pumping more money in the women? Like, what? I wonder what their, their measurements are going to be for success if it's player numbers and it's just the just the women, is that is that the key marker for success? No, you got to look at the goal, the game as a whole for mine, Nicky. Um, you got to look at investment into club rugby facilities. You got to look at the growth, not only in schools but in junior club. Um, and and I'm talking both boys and girls, men and women here. I'm just being quite general about things, but. You've also got to look at um, what the future of our national teams look like and how we're performing on the big stage as well and where we need to attract talent and use that talent for success. So um, it's not just about hosting these events. we also got to do well at them because that, that ultimately yeah. will lead to dissipation, which in turn generates more investment into the game. They've got to be careful that they don't just squander the spoils mm. Allegedly, they you know they get a lot of accusation around they they squandered the spoils from the two thousand three World Cup, but that could you know the same could be said that they lined pockets of professional players with that money as well, you know, absorbing amounts of money to um, contracted players. So I think they've got to, I think they've learned their lessons from that standpoint in that they're not to squander money away, but also that there's really good value investment in 
both sides of the game and at all levels of the game, they'll get good return on investment. Because I'd, I'd like to see, like when they talk about where they're going to spend this money, to be, I wonder if they'll actually let people know where they're going to spend that money. Because, you know, yeah, you don't want them just sticking all at the pointy end with the professional um, sides. I, I just would, it'd be great to know yeah, what they're going to do with it. It's a lot of money and you hope they don't spend it all in five years. You hope that they've got, a, I'm sure they do have a plan, but it'd be nice to know what the plan is from a punter's yeah. point of view. Yeah, and they need to, and they need to communicate that really well to the, the the rugby stakeholders out there and the general community just to have that sort of communication or marketing plan in place nice and early so that they there's a there's transparency on the word around how they'll invest back into the game through yep. the, the revenue that's generated, but also if the, if if the if the women's side of things do perform really well and, and you know, they do as well as the women's cricket and lots of stuff, there's reward for effort as well. Um, we've seen some progress there in, in pays, pay and salaries and the way they contract um, players for the women's game. And I think yep. that's really important. But we also get to look at, you know, there's Commonwealth Games coming up where we've still got rugby sevens. Um, and I think we can't forget about that because that can be a really good um, marquee uh, for Australian rugby as well. I mean, if you look at the success of the USA Sevens and, and the sort of the emerging nations with Sevens, I think we can't lose sight of that either. Yeah. There. But, but, yeah, it's also, um, look, I mean, they're all important, as you said, but if we're, if there's a big emphasis or, or all the all the promotion is based around the Sevens and the women, so you get more Sevens players and more women's players, but we're not getting more men's players. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. So look, I'd love six. They're not. They're not very good at sharing information, even with no. the um, like as which our next thing on the mailbag is that England's first tour of Australia since 2016 has been announced. So they've got the three tests, as we know, that the first one in uh, Perth on July two, which we've known about for a fair while. They've only come out today and said Brisbane on July nine, and then Sydney on July sixteen. I rang them uh, last week to find out their venues and dates for the rugby championship, and they said they're not going to announce those for a couple of months. And I'm thinking why you've got people that want to travel around and support the team, but they're making it so difficult for people to do that. Like people, you can't just decide next week, I'm going to go and watch in wherever it's going to be, but they said, yeah, they're not, they'll announce in a couple of months. So whether the guy I speak to on the phone when I finally got through um, was right or not, I don't know, but they just need to be more transparent and lay things out. And I think people would rather say, yep, these are our plan. If that changes, people are fine. They can accommodate that because that's what we do now. But don't just hold it because they're obviously talking. They've got a plan. Let us know where these games are going to be played. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought that's that complicated. Surely they've got these venues locked in. They, they would have had to book them in mm. months in advance, months and months in advance. It's not... It's not something they're just working on at the moment. It'd all be locked in. It'd all have pencil bookings in and all these venues. So why can't they release the fixtures or the proposed fixtures or just say... Yeah, they're called a proposed fixture. Proposed and yep. we're working through these logistics. Yep. To let us know. There's a bit of transparency of what the rugby season looks like. So basically, no one knows what the rugby season looks like beyond July 16th. Yeah, Exactly. And we're we're yeah, we're already getting towards the end of April. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's crazy. And then with um, the July sixteen test in Sydney, is it the SCG? So all the media spins about the nostalgia. You know, the last time they played there, you know, John Hipwell was the captain, and uh, Ray Price was earning rave reviews. This is against England, and Michael Hooper's come out and said, "Oh, it makes some cracking photos with the old stands behind 
everything, but all the fans on social media are just saying, I'm going to sit at home and watch it on TV because the SCG is the world's worst place to watch a game of rugby. Yeah. So I don't know why they're doing it there. Why wouldn't they go to somewhere like Melbourne when it's a, that's a cracking ground down in Melbourne? So why in 2022 are they playing a game of rugby at a cricket ground? For that Desmond. cute little white picket fence for the backdrop, <laughs> I don't, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm sure that's, that's yeah, it's cool. And then we we can write a few articles about you know Ray Price and and these past legends, and they're absolutely legends. But uh, I love Ray Price when he's playing league as well. But I don't think anyone under my age knows who Ray Price is anyway. Yeah, and aren't they the people that we need to be getting into the games as well? Like, sure, we've got some older rusted on fans that they think that. A, have got the money in their pocket and they're going to go and watch it. Hmm. But then what about this next generation of, of kids who are watching in New South Wales, they're watching Angus Bell and guys like that. They want to go and see him. They don't want to go and sit there at below ground level and try and spy something from across the park. Yeah. You know, but it boggles the mind. That, and that, and exactly like that Melbourne stadium, I think it's probably, I, I'm not sure what the, what the ground capacity of, is of the SCG, the Melbourne ones that in the mid twenties, close to 30, even if you get that half full, it's absolutely yeah. rocking. Like it's Coming. a great yeah. experience. It makes a heap of noise. Everyone leaves having a good experience of the match. Yep. And I'm sure that the facilities there for, for the corporates are just as good, if not better as well. So it boggles the mind that. I think that's the point, Mickey. This, this, this sort of marquee stadium thing for Super Rugby, they've got to get out of their mindset. Like, you know, you look at the Perth Stadium here, um, the HBS Stadium, they want to, what's well, called here, NIB, HBR. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's you get 10,000 people in there. It's a good night out. You can yep. hear the calls at the line-out time. You can hear the scrum calls. You can hear the, the tackles and the, the the language and just everyone shouting at each other on the field. That's what that's what you yeah. want when you go to the rugby. Hmm. Having matches, I, I, I reckon someone at the Waratah at some point has signed up a long-term deal at the SCG yeah, or the SFS, and it's all linked in somehow. And it's that all we've got to have linked it. up, and they've been stitched yep. up. Because let's face it, the White Tars are playing every match at Leichhardt Oval. It'd be mm. a block every week, and the whole community rugby would make it their night out. Just yeah. like good old, and sorry, just like in the good old days at Ballymore. Yeah, and there's a lot of flack that the Queensland rugby union still cop over having to play play um, matches at Suncorp. Suncorp, yeah, mm. better stadium, and yeah, a great a great stadium to watch test match rugby and state of origins and probably marquee super rugby matches. But ultimately the average community rugby punter wants to go down and, and be able to hear and smell and just be part of the actual game itself as expected. Mm. And mm. Uh, like Ballymore used to be terrific for those type of games. And I, I think the redevelopment they're going to do at Ballymore will be a real shot in the arm if they get the agreements right and they, they pitch the right games at the right times at that level. And the Waratahs have just missed the trick. Like they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. Yep. No? yep. I know. That's, yeah, it's mind boggling. And Rugby Strat have also confirmed that the Wallaroos will play home tests against Fiji in Brisbane on May 6th and also Japan on the Gold Coast on May 10th. So a great result for the women. They've, they've been starved at rugby. They haven't played since 2019. But is that good enough in a World Cup year for the women to only play two games? Are they still just being ignored? Yes, you can jump in here, mate. Oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm not sure what the current state of some of the other unions and being able to tour and travel and, and play games is and where they are at financially, but you would expect that 
there would be a lot more teams willing to work together and find a solution to to be able to get some more competitive games because it has been so long. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it is. It's it's disappointing that they only have those two matches leading in. Um, that being said, in a what is it in a standard World Cup year, they get maybe the other, the three other games. Is it three or do they just play through the rugby championship still and then they go into it? Oh, I don't yeah. know. Pretty much. I'm not sure off the top of my head how many yep. more games they regularly there's not, there's not would a lot get. of games left in the Super W. So there's only So uh, there's gonna be quite a break before then. Yeah. Um, yeah. and what do the and and the Fiji team, are they gonna have the leg up on everyone because they've been playing together? You think so? Think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a long season. Yeah, well they will they'll, they'll have a massive advantage to um yeah. the Fijiana. They'll, they'll have a great advantage, but I think the Super W has been out of, you know, um, it shows the talent coming through and it shows what players are available to wear the gold jersey for the Wallaroos. But um, they're going to be, it'll be pretty tough to pick a squad, I would have thought, out of the Wallaroos, at, judging by the talents out there. Because you've got to look at some of the players in the Brumbies, for example, whose depth may not be as strong as the Waratahs, but they've still got good talented players in that group versus yeah. Western Force Group that are struggling to win a game, but have still got one or two players that are playing week in, week out. How do they bring all that group together and then pick a Wallaroos team for two tests? Mm. You know, maybe 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 they need to look at uh, our possibles, probables model. Exactly. Yes. That'd be great. Broadcast Australia A. It's back. Australia A, Australia B. Yeah, well, Australia green, Australia gold, as we can yeah. call it. Yeah, I think that'd be um, I think that'd be great because I know the Wallabies are up on the Gold Coast at the moment on a camp, forty players uh, at the Royal Pines. I, oh, I don't I don't know what the point of that camp is. Um, I think it's it, isn't that a waste of money? They've got three guys, three three days, flow run up, forty rooms for I don't know three nights, all the meals and stuff, for, and and for what? I don't know why. So haven't you that. seen the Instagram? So the sponsors can get some access to them. Is that what it yeah, is? They've, is it? they've got eToro talking about brokering and they've got Cadbury giving out chocolates to the front rowers. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just it just seems very odd that they have to have everyone together at this this camp for 40, 40 players for there's no game coming up on the weekend. It's um it's a, it's a different world and I I, I don't know. I'd I'd like to know what that thing cost. Well as so well. How many how many guys have got games? Like what majority? There's no buy games for the Aussie teams, is there this weekend? This weekend I think the Tars and the Reds, I think have got oh, the buy. Tars and the Reds. So. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure there'd be a lot of admin staff up there and marketing staff up at this camp as well. So it wouldn't be um, a small cost. But if that's what they need to do, that's what they need to do. Which takes us finally to our Just win hero. that first test match. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, Mick Collis is coming. Oh, I'll, be is. Filthy. I'll be filthy. <laughs> so, finally, to the hero of the week. And Mitch, have you got our contenders? Oh, geez, you caught me on the hop here. You did send me the list. <laughs> I did send it. I did send it. Well, I can go through it, and you can you can pick it for us. So, we got Matt Deves picking TJ Perinara for his ridiculous line speed and a classic try. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Andrew Dobson, the very persistent Andrew Dobson, hunted by Sami for, for decking Nick White. Hugo Alley for Tane Edbed. And Old Glory and Tars fan, he's picked Marcel Bracky. He said he's having a blinder for the Gulgronis, but he also nominated the Fijiana for beating the Tars. Right. 
And then Ben, two try assists. Uh, no, the Waratah. No, no, not giving it the Waratah. <laughs> um, and he got his head taken off. Yeah, that was a good game. <laughs> I, do, I do like Tainer, but I like him as a player. But was it hero worthy? Probably not. TJ Perinar. Well, TJ Perinar plays like that every week for mine. I love TJ Perinar, but he's probably not hero status. Like if it was, if someone had nominated Artie Savia or something like that, then and he he nearly clinched the game against the Chiefs on the weekend. But I tell you what, I do like Hunter Pasami with the big hits and. Yeah. And like I don't know Nick White personally. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke. I never got to meet him the other week, but I reckon there's a lot of people out there that think. <laughs> and I reckon yeah. he did when Hunter Pasami. <laughs> so oh, I reckon yeah. I I the boys did the same thing as well. Just <laughs> yeah, I reckon there was a there was a lot of cheering going on when Hunter Pasama skewered him. So I'm going to give it to Andrew Dobson, mate. We'll we'll give him so, the, for the Hunter Pasama skewer. So, Andrew Dobson, congratulations. We'll get that voucher through to you. Thanks to our very kind sponsors at Heroes and Villains Brewery up in Osborne Park. Well, that'll do it uh, for us. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks, Tess. Looking forward to seeing and hearing you both on Saturday. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So, it's Stan Sports coverage of the Cot West game. And hopefully next week, hopefully next week, we'll have Kane Koteka as our guest. Uh, any feedback, as always, to the Facebook page, the Rugby Rap, or Twitter, Rugby underscore Rap. Well, the so Instagram thanks. page as well. We've got a new Instagram page, the Rugby yeah. Rap on Instagram. Look at us. There'll be just photos of Heath Tessman there in his, in his black polo, so make sure you <laughs> get those. They'll be constantly posted. So thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Rugby Rap.